This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. brings you the latest in anti-aging, cosmetic surgery, mini and extreme makeovers. Today we have Dr. Christopher Saunders who wrote the book, A Woman's Guide to the Real Reality of Cosmetic Surgery. Yes, many of the shows actually can show surgery that might be extensive, much and in many situations dangerous, and the and the, the the person watching, if they're not a doctor, wouldn't know that what they're seeing should not be done that way. Um, so it's a skewed. It's TV, just like all other television shows. Um, you know, they're they're meant to entertain, not to be educated. So the key is you have to be educated as a consumer. There are 24 board certifications. You can get this all on the internet. You can go to the American Board of Medical Specialties and check on your family doctor and check on all your pediatrician and all your other doctors. But there is one for plastic surgery. There's no such thing for cosmetic surgery. It just, there's no such thing for cosmetic surgery. It just does not exist. Plastic surgery journals and stuff like that. They will have courses called Liposuction 101 or Facelift 101. And what they will say is, take a weekend course in liposuction and learn how to do liposuction and be certified. And so you pay a couple thousand dollars, you might be a gynecologist and you're now ready to do liposuction in your office. That's scary. You wouldn't go to the plastic surgeon for a brain operation, a brain surgery, and so you probably wouldn't want to go to the facial plastic surgery for liposuction of the stomach or for breast enlargement. It's just not part of the training. Welcome, Dr. Saunders. Hi, how are you? Great. Thanks for agreeing to be with us today. We have so many questions for you. Thank you very much. First of all, your book, I think, lets women know how to choose a plastic or reconstructive surgeon. Uh, that's correct. So what questions would, you, would a patient, let's just say that I'm going to go in for a consultation, what would I ask my doctor? Well, let me, if you don't mind, give a little intro on what the book does and covers. I think it will help answer these questions. That'd be great. Tell our listeners what it's all about. Okay. Well, the reason it's called A Woman's Guide to the Real Reality of Cosmetic Surgery is because in this day and age, with all the television shows that are called reality TV, we have Extreme Makeover, I Want a Famous Face, um, Dr. 90210. Right. That the information that the consumer, that the person that sees these shows comes away with is not reality. For example, with reality TV, when were you last on a desert island vying for a million dollars like Survivor? These are not reality. So people come away from watching these TV shows 
or from reading People magazine or other um, Internet sites. They come away with information that could be skewed and could be misinformation. So the book tries to educate in a very easy-to-read, informative, a very clear manner to educate the person on realistic expectations from surgery, cosmetic surgery, and realistic recovery from cosmetic surgery, and realistic results that I call the real reality. Well, I think that's refreshing because I do think that there are so many women out there that are misinformed and they watch something, you know, like one of these reality shows, and they're like, wow, is that the way it is? And it's not at all. Yes, many of the shows actually can show surgery that might be extensive, too much, and in many situations dangerous, and the and the the, the person watching, if they're not a doctor, wouldn't know that what they're seeing should not be done that way. Um, so it's a skewed. It's TV, just like all other television shows. Um, you know, they're they're meant to entertain, not to be educated. And if you're having someone, or if you're considering having cosmetic surgery, having a real operation, you want to be educated and informed so that you can be happier and have a better result. I agree, and I, I do have one example for our listeners is that I had a girlfriend call me and say that a surgeon in Orange County said he didn't believe in endoscopic brow lifts, and I just told her, well, does he do them, and is he trained for them? So my question to you is, how do people who don't train in surgery advertise as board-certified cosmetic surgeons, and how do you know their credentials? Okay, that, that is a, a very, very good question, um, and there's a chapter in the book on this. And, and so I'm going to discuss it right now. Doctors, like pediatricians, family doctors, anesthesiologists, they're board certified by something called the American Board. So they would be the American Board of Pediatrics, the American Board of Anesthesia. And there is a governing board called the American Board of Medical Specialties. So this governing board recognizes 24 board certifications that the average person thinks of as board certified. So your family doctor, your OBGYN doctor, which is your gynecologist, your general surgeon, your, um, as I said, your pediatrician. There is also one in plastic surgery. So plastic surgeons can be board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. It's one of the 24 exclusive boards. When people talk about board certification, this is what they're talking about. And to clarify, we want somebody who specialized or went to school to be a plastic or cosmetic surgeon, correct? Well, so here, so here's the situation. So there is no board certification in cosmetic surgery that you and I recognize because there are only, as I said, 24 boards recognized by the American Board of Medical Specialties. However, people don't have a monopoly on board certification. So what happened is in the past, doctors have actually created boards. And so you can have boards, and you and I could start a, um, a board tomorrow and call it the, uh, the um, board certification of young cosmetologists. And no one could, could stop us, and we could say that we're board certified. And who are we board certified? Well, we're board certified by young cosmetologists. There's no such thing. And it can be misleading. So the key is you have to be educated as a consumer. There are 24 board certifications, 
is you can get this all on the Internet. You can go to the American Board of Medical Specialties and check on your family doctor and check on all your pediatrician and all your other doctors, but there is one for plastic surgery. There's no such thing for cosmetic surgery. It just does not exist. Good to know. And that board is called the American Board? Uh, the American Board of Plastic Surgery. So when you're looking for a cosmetic surgeon, in my opinion, you need to find a doctor who is board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery because plastic surgery is a specialty where we are trained extensively. The training for plastic surgeons, mine was eight years long, and that doesn't even count medical school. If you count medical school, you're talking 12 years. And cosmetic surgery is a huge focus, and the plastic surgeon is an expert in the field of cosmetic surgery. So when I call myself a cosmetic surgeon, it's because I focus on cosmetic surgery but I'm not board certified in cosmetic surgery because there's no real board in that. I'm a board certified plastic surgeon. So the key to summarize, because what I said could be looked upon as confusing, the key is really you want to look for a board certified plastic surgeon to know that your doctor has had excellent training um, and has done the requisite operations so he's ready to do the forehead or the endoscopic operation that you talked about. That he was trained to do. Yeah, because there are actually doctors of dentistry who advertise cosmetic surgery. It's scary. Right. We've seen it everywhere now. It's scary, in my opinion. And you have actually um, in a community where I'm, I'm from the East Coast, we have a community where a gynecologist advertises as a cosmetic surgeon. Right. They're doing liposuction. Yes. Which is scary, even though they might be great at their own you know, profession that they trained in. That's exactly right. So can these doctors do surgery in hospitals or surgery centers if they have limited, if any, surgical training for cosmetic procedures? Well, it's, it's tough for them to get hospital privileges um, in many states because the hospitals will check the credentialing. Surgery centers and office-based um, facilities are much easier understand it's not illegal for them to do it. And ironically, there are some doctors who um, I have seen who, let's say an ophthalmologist, for example, who, who specializes in facial cosmetic surgery, and some of them can actually be very good doctors and provide very good care. But on average, you have to be careful because um, they don't have the requisite training to do these operations, and they're learning them through less conventional methods. Did you know that there are actually courses that you can take in, like, if I open up one of my doctor magazines, these are not magazines that, are, that you buy at, you know, a bookstore. These are magazines that are, that are subscription, like the plastic surgery journals and stuff like that. They will have courses called Liposuction 101 or Facelift 101. And what they will say is, take a weekend course in liposuction and you know, learn how to do liposuction and be certified. And so you pay a couple thousand dollars, you might be a gynecologist, and you're now ready to do liposuction in your office. That's scary. That is scary. And as the wife of a plastic surgeon, I know that 
there's often courses of trendy things as well so that you doctors would like to be up on the trendy things. And can you warn the women the dangers of doing trendy things like such as maybe the thread lift or, you know, things like that? Um, I think that you're bringing up another good point. What happens is medicine and plastic cosmetic surgery slowly progress. So new inventions do happen, but they don't happen on a daily basis like People Magazine or Us Magazine wants us to believe. Um, And so it's every single day you pick up a new source and you say, here's a new way to do a facelift. I call it the instantaneous facelift. There's no such thing. But there are doctors who have trademarked facelifts with different descriptions. And one is not called the instantaneous facelift, but there's (laughs) one that... that, Wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Because if you have an operation on your face, you're going to have to have bruising and swelling, which resolve. And that takes a couple weeks, typically. And pretty much there's no miracle out there. You just have to get a consultation for each individual person to see what you need. But also what you're saying is, how does the average person figure out the credentials of their doctor? Let's just say that I would come into you and say, I want a procedure done. How can I look you up or what questions should I ask you? Um... Most doctors nowadays have a website, um, and so you could go to their website and look for their credentials. The office manager would also pr- provide the person with a resume or a curriculum vitae, which is the doctor term for a resume, and you can look up where did they go to school, what is their board certification in. I, I, I don't think that there's anybody who should see a doctor that's not board certified anymore um, in any specialty. And so you're looking for the American board specialty that you're seeking. In this situation, we're talking about plastic surgery. You can then look at where they trained um, and did they do any fellowships? Have they done any publications? So you can get into more details about the level of their training. It's also good always to um, see what societies they belong to. Are they a member of the American Medical Association? Are they a member of the um, American Society of Plastic Surgery? This is another society. Now, societies are not something that you get from going to school. You have to be board certified or eligible to even be a member. But they, they check for continuing education of the plastic surgeon and also, which is very interesting, ethics. So plastic surgeons, if they're board certified and members of the American Society of Plastic Surgery, cannot be involved in false advertising or they can lose their credentials. That's such a good point. And um, we need to take a break to thank our Beauty Now sponsors. And we'll be right back. Listen to Just for Women, Dating, Relationships, and Sex, a weekly internet audio program from personallifemedia.com. Fresh inspiration and expanded relationship options for today's woman. Hi, we're back with Dr. Christopher Saunders, and we're talking all about, is your doctor qualified to operate on you? Welcome back, Dr. Saunders. Hi again. Thank you. Hi. Well, we left off talking about board certification and societies. 
My next question to you is, what about if you're going in, let's just say for a breast augmentation, and your doctor is an ear, nose, throat specialty who specializes in facial plastic surgery? How do you handle that? Well, in that particular situation, I would, as a patient, talk to the doctor and ask them, if you specialize in facial plastic surgery, um, what does body surgery or breast surgery have to do with that particular location of the body? Um, um, in my community, most facial plastic surgeons do not do cosmetic surgery off of the face. But I am aware that in other states um, where competition is more competitive, it drives these people to do operations on another part of the body. They might take um, some basic courses, as I described in the first segment, um, or liposuction courses, and start doing body contouring or breast enlargement, as you asked your question. I would be very um, careful about choosing a doctor that does that. I think that would be unwise. Most of those doctors don't do it. So if you're picking a doctor who's an exception, you want to pick a doctor who's an exception, well, then maybe he should be an expert in the world that's an exception, but don't pick one that's doing something that's not part of their basic training. And so I think that would be one that I'd recommend someone else. Now, facial plastic surgeons, are they more qualified to do rhinoplasties then? Is that something that you would consider more than body surgery? I wouldn't say that they're more qualified to do it, but when a, a facial plastic surgeon classically is a board-certified ENT doctor or a board-certified Otolaryngologist is another name for it. And, and part of their training is nose surgery. Like the plastic surgeon, the nose is part of a plastic surgeon training. It's part of an ENT doctor's training. So a rhinoplasty would be part of either specialty. And it would be wrong of me to say that they couldn't do a good job because they can, and so can the plastic surgeon. You pick the one that's best. But you wouldn't go to the plastic surgeon for a brain operation, a brain surgery, and so you probably wouldn't want to go to the facial plastic surgery for liposuction of the stomach or for breast enlargement. It's just not part of the training. And what about women with body dysmorphic? We, we recently came across a 28-year-old who has had seven nose jobs and a facelift already, a brow lift, and, and also redid everything. And how do you know that your doctor is not going to say no to these people like Michael Jackson? hate to say that, Michael, but he's a good example of too much plastic surgery. Do you turn people away? You, you, want, a, you want a doctor who, um, in my opinion, sits down with you during a consultation, he listens to what you have to say, and then he educates you on your options. So it should be kind of, in my opinion, and I describe it frequently to my patients, it should be kind of like you're listening to a college lecture. So you're learning about breast enlargement or you're learning about nose jobs. And it's not being pushed on you and it's not being sold to you. So you hear what he has to say, you learn about it, and then he discusses it. You would throw in questions that you have, and then you make your decision in an educated fashion whether you proceed with surgery. People with body dysmorphic syndrome the and doctors that might not recognize they have a problem operate on these patients and they don't do the patient any good. And in someone like Michael Jackson who 
may or may not have the problem, he wants an appearance to his nose that clearly is not what the normal person would want. Right, and I'm not saying that he does have the problem. It just appears that he does. That's correct. That's correct. The good news about this is body dysmorphic syndrome is actually more of a risk to the patient with the problem and the doctor doing the surgery, not to the average person who wants plastic surgery. Right. But if you see somebody in their 20s coming in for facelift and procedure after procedure, wouldn't that be a good doctor to say you need really a psychiatrist instead of a plastic surgeon? Yeah, you would if you if you had someone like that and you would think, boy, if that doctor's making bad decisions on other patients, then maybe he might not be the best doctor for me. Right. Well, let's change the topic. What's your favorite plastic surgery? Um, I specialize in facial rejuvenation and breast and body sculpting. Now, facial facial rejuvenation is a very broad topic. And I think with all the new hot trend of non-invasive procedures, and you brought up thread lifts, which are like I call, so I don't, we don't use any names, I just say they're right. similar, puppet string lifts. So we don't have to use any trademark names, but puppet string lifts. So the latest trend right now is non-cutting and non-selling. People who want to look younger and feel better without stitches. And I think they're fantastic, but the most important thing to understand about these procedures is they only help us to a degree. They're not going to get rid of bags around the eyes. They're not going to get rid of jowls. They're not going to get rid of a big um, fold in the neck or a turkey gobble in the neck. Non-invasive procedures such as fillers to help with the folds around the mouth or wrinkles around the lips help us. They improve the situation. They don't get rid of the problem. So what's your favorite filler? Um, I personally um, use a multitude of fillers, and if you came in and asked me that, I would give you a more long-winded answer. And my answer would be that the fillers are like ice cream in an ice cream shop with vanilla, strawberry, chocolate, rocky road, and I would describe the pros and the cons. The most popular fillers across the country and in my office are hyaluronic acid. Juvederm and Restylane are the most popular brands. There are longer-acting products, such as Radius and Sculptra, which have additional benefits. There is no, unfortunately, perfect filler that lasts forever. So what filler would you use around eyes, let's say? Around the eyes, because the skin is extremely thin, 12 microns thin, you have to be very careful, and I recommend sticking with the hyaluronic acid. So you wouldn't want to go with a thicker or more permanent product because you'd have a greater chance of lumpy application. How long does hyaluronic acid last? Classically, um, the companies love to say six months to a year, and sometimes they'll even advertise a year or longer, but I think for the average patient, you tell them four to six months, and I circle six months. I think six months is very reasonable. That like sounds realistic. Talk about Radius for a second. I think that it's so confusing all the new fillers out. Um, Radius is a calcium-based product, and it is one, um, I tell people, think of it like ground-up bone. It's not bone from a dead person, but you can think of it because bone is mainly a calcium product. 
Um, it actually looks like a very like a toothpaste. It's white. Um, it lasts up to 18 months, which is hopefully three times longer than hyaluronic acid. It can only be used in some areas on the face. It's not good, unfortunately, for the lips because there has been a 5% or 10%, so 1 in 20 um, approximately, let's say, will get a cyst on the lip, which is something that we don't want. So usually you don't use it for lip enlargement or for wrinkles on the lip. It's great for the folds around the mouth, such as the nasolabial folds. And I think that's the most common location to use radiation. And that's your, good from your nose to your lip for, for That's listeners. exactly right. And what's your yeah. favorite filler for lips? Lips are a huge thing for women. They love big lips, but what is the best thing to do? Well, I would, re- I would review the options with them, as I already said. For example, if women are having liposuction, then I'm a huge fan of using her own filler, which is fat, and I do fat transfer. I, I do fat transfer, which um, involves centrifugation and purification of the fat, um, and through micro-droplet application, um, these were techniques developed or um, popularized by Dr. Coleman in New York City, um, and fat is fantastic for the lip. But that's typically more expensive than just a filler that you would grab out, grab off the shelf in the office. So if someone's having liposuction, it's a filler that I recommend. Hey, let's use your own fat. That's such an appealing thing. <laughs> what about women that aren't having liposuction? Can they? Can you get some fat off them? If if they're not, I typically I typically recommend Juvederm or Restylane, the hyaluronic acid products. And how long does the fat transfer last? Well, that's a great question. Um, a lot of people come in and they'll say, I heard that fat is permanent. And that's probably an oversimplification. There's much, there's permanence associated with it. Fat, unfortunately, it's your own product. As I told you, it's processed and re-injected. And it can last from three months to multiple years. That's a huge range of time. It can be very disappointing. It's not uncommon I'll have someone come in the office and they got fat transfer from another doctor who they thought it was permanent, and it, three months later it's gone. That's bad luck. It usually lasts longer than that, but it's the main risk of fat transfer is that it can go away very quickly. Most people get longer periods of time out of it. So the range between months to years, I often think that um, and there was one good study that showed that after one year, biopsies showed that about 50% of it was still there. So that's getting good longevity. And do you transfer fat anywhere else besides the lips? I also use it to do it for the nasolabial folds um, and also for the cheeks. For the so cheeks? Part of, you know, as we age, one of the latest concepts in aging, you know, if, you, if, I, if someone grabs their face and they pull on their jowls or their neck, they feel that the tissue has descended almost like a breast that's hanging. The face has hung, and it's, it's dropping. Well, one of the hottest or latest thoughts is that facial aging is not just the descent or the dropping of facial skin, but the loss of fat in key areas. So the best rejuvenation can be um, not just lifting the skin, but re-injecting or treating the loss of fat. So that's where the fat transfer comes in. So the lifting techniques tend to lift the skin to the 
the position or to position the tissue where it was when you were younger, and then the fat is re-injected or transferred to areas where we've lost fat. Well, Dr. Saunders, I think you've just inspired a lot of men and women to come in and grab their jowls and get a consultation. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We're going to have to have you back. This has been so interesting and I think really informing for men and women to check out their doctors. So check out Dr. Christopher Saunders' book, A Woman's Guide to the Real Reality of Cosmetic Surgery. You can also go to our website, personallifemedia.com, Beauty Now, and click on, and we're going to link Dr. Saunders' website to ours so you can check out all of his procedures and get a consultation with him. Thanks again for being with us today, and I'm sorry that we're out of time. We're going to have you back. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. You have a great day, too. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.